It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1 800 858 858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, New Zealand, good morning everyone and uh, welcome to uh, Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 9.03 here on SENZ Busy Show. As uh, always, we've, uh, first of up, we're going to link up with Roly Crichton. Now Roly Crichton has the honour uh, of being the coach of Sophie Pascoe, of course, uh, winning the first medal overnight, uh, a silver medal in the pool. Um, many more events to come up for Sophie, so we'll check on her programme and uh, Roly Crichton, of course, is coaching her from afar this time around. Uh, wonderful interview. Uh, I got up a little bit earlier this morning to uh, record an interview with Scott McLaughlin. I'm telling you, he is some dude. And when you consider he's, uh, you know, looking forward to the prospect of travelling around about 240 miles per hour at the moment, you never see or hear from a, a more layback sort of a dude who seems to have all his particular things uh, in the right order. He's having a heck of a rookie year. Wyatt Crockett, great uh, teammate of uh, Israel Dagg, is uh, on just after 10 o'clock. Uh, Wyatt Crockett um, with the view. On eight props, yeah, they're taking eight props on this tour. So, man, how did he miss out? Uh, Louis Herman Watt, Victorian jocks are in trouble. They've broken a curfew, and we're talking some very high-profile ones there. We'll pop into the TAB, and this morning we will catch up with Matt Walsh, who is the CEO at The Breakers. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Right, uh, unless she who must be obeyed is kind this afternoon, we won't be playing golf this weekend. But if she who really must be obeyed is kind, we might at least be able to watch it. We could take a look at the BMW Championship out of the Caves Valley Golf Club, Owings Mill, Maryland, where the top 70 male golfers in the USPGA are playing. And this weekend, the poor buggers have to walk a whole 72 uh, uh, holes for a share of only 9.5 million US dollars. Appalling. I mean, why would you bother? And if they're good enough at the end of that, that horrible slog, uh, and to make it into the top 30 overall, uh, they can walk around East Lake Golf Club next weekend for the Tour Championship. And there, though, if they're good enough, they will play well and get a fair chunk of the overall $60 million allocated by FedEx for the playoffs. The outright winner will bank $15 million himself as a bonus. Now, there is a wow factor about there, isn't there, to be honest, but there's also a slightly crazy, obscene side to it. Those numbers are more than just ludicrous. To many of them, the money doesn't even matter. They're loaded. It's like buying a lotto ticket when you've got $20 million in the bank. And here's a little snippet about the venue, East Lake. 
To be a member, you have to be nominated, etc., meet all the criteria, then front up with a mere $125,000 as an entry fee. And then it's also recommended that you donate $200,000 to the East Lake, East Lake Federation for local community development. This sort of puts into perspective me and my mates playing for 40 bucks, which goes on the table. So we have numerous soft drinks and cups of tea, but I miss it. I miss the banter, I miss the insults, and uh, more than most, I miss the sledging. We don't play for the FedEx, more like the Fed Up. And I miss it. So, you who must be obeyed, please be kind, so that she who really must be obeyed can also be kind, so the lads can be reunited on the first tee. Now that is bliss. Pure bliss. Well, Sophie Pascoe, uh, our most decorated Paralympian, came up just short of her 10th career gold uh, last night in an epic duel in the Tokyo Aquatic Centre. Uh, she just lost out to Alan Keane, uh, pipped in the final of the 100 metres breaststroke. Uh, Keane touched in a time of 1.19.93 seconds, uh, just fractionally ahead of Sophie's 1.20.32. Uh, so uh, it was a repeat of the morning heats. Uh, so, yeah, a silver, but uh, to be fair, she's got a lot more coming up. And to talk about it this morning uh, is her coach, uh, Roly Crichton. Now, uh, welcome onto the show, uh, Roly. Um, for, for those who, who are not aware, you're not, uh, you're not actually in Tokyo uh, with Sophie this time around, so you've been a bit crook yourself. Uh, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm uh, in hospital. I've done five weeks here looking at the roof. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not sure it's okay, but uh, five weeks seems a long time to me, mate. Uh, you, you're in this, um, I will say, a privileged position, but of course you've been a great contributor to where Sophie's been able to get to in her career. Um, listen, what was it like last night not being poolside uh, and uh, keeping up with Sophie in that race? Um. Yeah, it, it, was, it was quite different to be watching it on telly, to be fair, and uh, and not being there. Um, uh, Sophie was uh, beaten by a great swim by the Irish girl, and we put it like this. Um, so missing um, a, a part of her leg, and the Irish girl's missing part of her, her hand and her, her arm. So it's legs versus arms. Uh, it's an interesting uh, when you, you look at coaching from, from that point of view because, of course, um, most yeah. of the coaches in the world sport are looking at a, um, fully able-bodied um, athletes. So uh, that in itself is, uh, is quite fascinating. Is that, is that the way you, you look at a lot of her events in that regard? You look at the other person's particular handicap? Not really. Um, where, where I'm coming from there is uh, the breaststroke is a leg-driven stroke. And right. um, so was just sheer shoulders and arms. So it's really what I call a, a gym a gym um, session for soap. A, a lot of gym towards that more than uh, water time in training. So how closely can you be in contact with her? I mean, uh, can you study her stroke from afar? Can you uh, 
you know, can can you give pointers uh, from from this distance? Um, what what we've got there is uh, another person's gone in my place. His name is Maddie Ingram. He's a part of our very close team here in Christchurch with high performance, and uh, so Maddie's over there um, with her, and he's a biomechanist. And a biomechanist is a person who works with levers, arms and legs, uh, so strokes and in that area. So there's no better person, but I'm in contact with him. Um, she's got the Bible, which is a book I wrote out on uh, just a school book on um, day-to-day um, training sessions. And so she's in bloody good hands. You would have uh, a fair idea. This is pre-Tokyo, um, pre the Olympics. Just what kind of uh, weekly regime uh, would Sophie Pascoe have, say, uh, a month out? Well, to be to be brutally honest, um, the last two years have been more different um, to anything we've come across in our lives, and. Um, I think all sports people could say that. Um, and, you know, through the unknown, um, Sophie's had a, a really, really hard year, the hardest year of her life. And that's even to get out of bed, to turn up to the pool, to train. Now, training wasn't like training was for Rio or for London training was just hopping on the water and going through the motions. It's been a hard road, I tell you. And in what respect, uh, is that a physical thing or is it is a, a, a mental thing? We hear so much about the, the mental things uh, involved in sport at top level now, Roly, and the exposure and the pressure that uh, our athletes have to live with. How does Sophie cope with that? Well, it is, it is a mental thing, more than a physical. So, Soph's a, a physical specimen. She she kills the gym, and she, she, she's um, the best in the water. But when the mind is not connected to the body, you don't get that. So uh, this year, the mental side has been... It's been huge uh, for her, and I'm only scraping the surface, really. So, uh, I mean, as you say, it's tough. I mean, it, it, might, it must be tough to continue going on because uh, she hasn't got to prove anything to anyone. I mean, you know, she is the great. Uh, so, but what keeps her going then? What, what's kept her going to, to Tokyo? She set a goal. She's a really honest, honest person. She set a goal to be there and... To give you a little bit of the, the lowdown in the last six weeks before I ended up in hospital, um, we were in Auckland and up there training. They've got the 50-metre pool. They've got all the glamour stuff. And um, we were training. She'd been to see her sister at the weekend um, in Wakatani, and she arrived to the pool not feeling that great. So that week, was virtually a what I'd call a 40% week and on the Thursday she got tested for COVID. We had our farewell to the Paralympics at Sky City and uh, she 
couldn't attend that because of COVID. We snuck her on the plane on uh, Friday to bring her back home to Christchurch, got her home here, ready to train on Monday, and her COVID test was cleared, and she had the worst flu ever. So she wasn't able to train. So we're talking three weeks out here. Then she was meant to go to Blenheim to do a race meet to be able to the South Island Champs, which just to get into the groove of racing. She hadn't raced since 2019, and she couldn't go because she was ill. Started on the Monday, very low-key training, and so she's only virtually had three weeks in the water. So that's the mark of the lady. It's staggering, absolutely staggering to find out that um, ah, she's had to go through that uh, to, to get to where she is. Oh. Now, uh, let's, uh, Rolly, can we look at her program from here on in? Uh, obviously, as you said, last night was like a, uh, a gym session uh, in, in terms of that event. Uh, so now uh, let's look at what's ahead for her. She's, I think she's got a little bit of a break, uh, apart from some pool time, of course. But uh, what, are you, what are you anticipating in the, week, in the uh, days ahead? Yeah, what, what I meant, Smitty, with the gym session was if Soph did, say, 50, 50 strokes to 60 strokes, which she would have done in that race, 30 on the way down, 30 yeah. on the way back, that was like doing 60 bench presses. So that's what I meant, because she's got no leg drive. It was all done with yep. her upper body. So that, that's what I mean by the gym session. Um, coming up, We've got, uh, she's got three days. Most people would say off, but Soph will be back in the pool. Spoke to her last night after a race. She had a long warm down. She'll recover this morning with a um, nice long swim and then uh, use the tools like massage and so forth to get her body back. And then she will do the next day, she'll do quite a firm session building up for the backstroke race, which is 100 back, and that is on the 30th. And, um, yeah, back, back into it. And then straight after that, the next day, she's got 100 free. Straight after that, she's got the 200 IM on the 1st of September, and then the 2nd of September, 100 fly. If you look at the poll and you look at Olympians over the years, Roly, uh, there's only one in front of her uh, with the, the Hall of Medals she's already got now. Uh, if she gets the, some medals uh, in those events coming up, and uh, we hope and pray that she does, she's uh, hitting the 20 mark, and there's uh, only Michael Phelps in front of her in terms of Paul Olympian. So, man, that, that is just uh, something quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Um, but I must say, um, with the limited training, but with, with, with Soap, who has had so much experience, you, you, you can't go and buy experience. You know, that's done through time. And uh, her experience will get her through, but she has to swim smarter in the morning where she doesn't uh, empty the tank too much so she can give it at night. Okay, Rolly, uh, it's been great catching up with you. A uh, little insight into just to what uh, Sophie Pascoe has had to go through to get to this point. Uh, we'll be glued in the days ahead because she truly is uh, a, 
a great of New Zealand sport, uh, and you've helped to, to make her that. So uh, thanks on that uh, for that. Stay stay well yourself. That's it's the most important thing, and let, let's hope uh, you know you you can get back to to great health. And Sophie can help you do that. Yeah, beautiful. Yep, yep. Keep your okay, eyes Rolly. on us. Yeah, okay. we'll we'll be cool. doing that, mate. Don't you worry about that. We'll be doing that. Nine eighteen here on SENZ. Rolly Crichton, fascinating story there. Uh, we wouldn't know the half of it, would we? Uh, with some of these, some of these athletes, in terms of their preparation and what they absolutely have to go to, as close as uh, a week or so out from the Olympics, uh, almost bedridden with the flu, staggering. Okay, uh, eighty-eight thirty-three is our text number. What about that, Sophie Pascoe? What about that, Sophie Pascoe? Just how good is she in your eyes? Um, also, uh, another topic you might be uh, a little keen on getting through to us on. Uh, what are you most looking forward to if uh, perhaps we get a level drop this afternoon um, out of uh, this horrible level four situation we're in? What are you most looking forward to perhaps over the weekend? Uh, 9.19 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. I came in ranked third. Breaststroke's not my favourite event. It's Alan's favourite. I mean, all power to her. She got me in that last 10 metres and that's when it really hurt and, you know, I gave it absolutely everything. Um, I tapped into that in a mental mindset, uh, but obviously it just wasn't enough uh, to get the gold. And like I said, I'm just, I'm stoked to get a silver medal at the Paralympics in Tokyo that I never thought I was going to get. You know, I, I mean, this was an unexpected race and it was an unexpected uh, result. So I am super, super stoked. It's a silver medal for my country. Um, you know, I'm going to stand up on that podium with pride. Oh, tough, really tough um, character, isn't she? She's absolutely fantastic and you know, you get the feeling that, uh, as she said, it wasn't her favourite event. She almost won a gold in her non-favourite event. Uh, she's got to be a very short price favourite to win her favoured ones in on the strength of that. she's, Despite all, uh, we heard from Rolly Crichton, her coach, despite all that she's had to go through to get to this point, uh, she does sound uh, pretty primed there and pretty ready. Uh, hi, Smithy. If we get a drop in COVID levels, it would mean I, I won't watch a game of baseball that seemed to go for 10 hours. He's talking about uh, the game that I watched last, uh, all I had in my multi. It uh, went to uh, innings number 17 or 18 from memory. Uh, they got up. Uh, poor old uh, Carlo, he missed the chase, the news, and home and away because he had his money on the game. Um, and it did get up, apparently, uh, but the other two legs were absolutely unsuccessful. Uh, Dave from Karaka says, uh, I've watched a bit of the games over the last couple of days and it really opened your eyes on some of those disabilities and the courage they have to compete. Good luck to all of them and to you for your golf game this weekend. Fingers crossed, let's hope for a bit of good news. Um, uh, yeah, look, I'm hoping not, I'm not holding my hope out for for uh, my golf. But what I will say is I, I, I have been watching as well, and I am staggered, staggered. Have you seen the the guy play table tennis without any arms? Have you seen that? Can you believe that the guy in the pool who has no legs and nearly, nearly won the gold, nearly won the gold, um, in in the swimming with no legs? I mean, how strong is he from the waist up? It's just, I mean, it. it Bloody biggest belief, just how fantastic some of these people are being uh, and, and what they're doing. 
Um, here's a, a text. I'm looking forward to expanding my bubble and enjoying a cold beer, watching the racing with my mates, if I can find some. Uh, that's from uh, Angus Shaw of Hawke's Bay. It's not very often people give you the, uh, their whole name, but Angus Shaw of Hawke's Bay. Uh, good luck finding some mates. Uh, that'll be good for you. Um, uh, probably might Im- improve <coughs> your personality a wee bit. Uh, John, uh, that was interesting, wasn't it? Uh, really, really interesting uh, talking to Roly Crichton. And uh, he seemed uh, a little, uh, quite clearly concerned for Sophie in the build-up. Yeah, absolutely. Quite enlightening. I didn't know that Sophie had been through that. So it sounded like she was mentally struggling for motivation because she hasn't raced internationally for two years because of COVID. So really, um, when you're Sophie Pascoe, you know, you're in a lane of your own, aren't you? You need that international competition to get you firing and fizzing. And she was struggling, what Rolly said, to get out of bed and get to training. So mentally struggling, add to that a flu, uh, a really bad one, three weeks out that she gets on the plane. She thinks she might have COVID and might not go to the games at all. And then to go last night and be 0.4 of a second away from winning gold in your non-favourite event with her four best events still to come. I mean, that is an amazing mark of the woman. Um, Like, we knew she was great already in the pool, but just the mental strength to be able to do that, to go through all this and to have your coach lying in his hospital bed for the last five weeks to put on top of that. So emotionally, she must be absolutely drained, but she must have some good people around her, Smithy, and she'll be good to go, it sounds like, on Monday to start that quest for 20 Paralympic medals in her career, which is just a mind-blowing stat. Yeah, it's to be hoped, John, that you know she will uh, find the resolve. And, and uh, it sounded in that interview as if she's back on the right track. But clearly the occasion, too, uh, will bring the best out in her. The other uh, athletes around her that have also worked so hard. But uh, the fact that she is um, the queen, um, she's the queen of the pool, there's no doubt about it. Um, and she's going to hold on to that title. Morning, Smithy. I'm looking forward to some normality, maybe sitting in a cafe with the old girl, coffee and a sandwich. But if you think the socialists will readily let us <laughs> let go of their power and let us out, you are dreaming. We still need to learn to do what we are told. Sophie Pascoe is a beast. Even the best sometimes struggle. That's Brian. So, yeah, sentiments there as well. <laughs> well, Brian, I love some of these texts that come in. I really do. Um, we have got... Uh, very shortly, um, an interview I've done already earlier this morning with Scott McLaughlin. What an impressive young man. Uh, what a, a cool sort of a dude when you consider the speeds he travels at, the environment he's all of a sudden found himself in uh, in terms of IndyCar racing on the biggest stage in America. Uh, he's 13th overall in season number one, his rookie season. Quite incredible. Uh, he is. He's got it going. He's, he's absolutely in a good space. Uh, it's 9.30 here on SENZ. Well, we're really, really proud of uh, our two Scots in the IndyCar series at the moment. Of course, Scott Dixon, six-time winner. Uh, the Iceman, they call him at uh, just 41 years of age. And there's a, a rookie on the scene this year. Uh, and it's really great to be joined by Scott McLaughlin, of course, uh, champion at the V8 Supercars but now making a real name for himself in his rookie year. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, Can you tell us exactly how it came about that you were all of a sudden a V8 supercar driver and now you're in the prestigious IndyCar League, mate? How did that happen? Yeah, thanks, Ian. It's a bit of a weird way of how it's got about it, but, um, you know, awesome for one to be in the Dixon era, as I like to say, like to be able to race Scotty, you know, at his 
is in this day and age where he's just so competitive and such a professional. It's um, it's awesome. Um, but look, the the for me, it was a chance. It was an opportunity to uh, challenge myself and expand my racing. Um, you know, my my I don't know, just my competitiveness and and really, you know, visit new new sites and see different things. And um, I probably I could have taken the NASCAR route. Um, but at the same time, IndyCar was just completely different and, uh, you know, an open wheel category, uh, no doors, you know, just, you know, me in the car and, and, and learning a whole new category. And it's been tough, you know, highs and lows have been a plenty, but, um, you know, really enjoying it. And, and, um, you know, the only thing I'm missing really is mum and dad and, and, and having a few more friends from New Zealand and Australia coming, coming back over and, you know, watching me race for sure. I'm going to get on to Dad shortly, mate, but um, because I, I know for a fact I've, I've seen some of his antics while he's been watching you race, and uh, it, it's quite it's it's fun, really. But uh, what does um what does Team McLaughlin look like? I know you're part of the the Team Penske group, which is a huge group with a it's steeped in history and and IndyCar in particular. But tell us about the individual uh, Team McLaughlin group over there. It's a it's a pretty small group. <laughs> it's um just me and my wife Carly and uh, and our dog Chase. <laughs> so I, I I work pretty hard with um my team itself. Obviously, Team Penske, as you said, you know over five hundred employees that run in you know all the premier classes in America. But um you know, I, I train nearly every day at the workshop. Uh, all the all the facilities are there for me, from you know ice baths and 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 um, massage and physios to you know, full weight rooms and, and and heat rooms and stuff to get me ready for the races. So, you know, um, yeah, we're quite small on the personal side of things, but at the same time, uh, you know, I've got I've got a lot of good tools at hand to you know make sure I get better and better. Scott, you look pretty laid back there. I mean, at what point at what point do you you start to think about the next race and and yeah, the mood change or does it change? Uh, look, I've I've been to be honest, with Ian, I've been on tender hooks a fair bit in terms of just. You know, probably not exactly myself this year. I, I guess you put a lot of pressure on yourself to, you know, I've been at the top for a long time in Australia and I, I came over here not arrogantly wanting to go to the top straight away. I knew it was going to be time, but it, I, I needed to, you know, I've, I've had to have a bit of initiation, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, it, that has been hard for me to take because I am crazily uh, competitive and it, it, it does take its toll, but... You know, the last few events, I've sort of just slipped into my own skin a little bit more and just really enjoyed it more than anything, enjoying the journey and realizing that it's, you know, I don't have to put too much pressure on myself just yet. It's just all about managing expectations and, um, you know, understanding, you know, the learning that I've got ahead of me. Um, but look, your first year, it's been awesome seeing so many different spots around America, different tracks, but certainly next year in 22, like I really want to, you know, sort of use what I've learned this year. I'm going to tracks that I know the whole year and, and really enjoy, I'm going to enjoy that a lot more and, and really excited for that as well. How do they regard rookies over there, especially rookies uh, all the way from uh, down under? Because I imagine it's a seriously competitive sport. It's a seriously dangerous sport. Uh, so rookies, yeah. I suppose, have to do their time and, and uh, they're under severe scrutiny. Yeah, you have to gain respect and, um, for sure, the scrutiny on the ovals has been pretty crazy. You know, even just to you know um, enter in the Indy 500 this year, you know, I have to go through a full rookie process of building up to speed and eventually, obviously, getting to 240 mile an hour. And just to qualify for that event takes two weeks. You know, so um, but I am thankful. Obviously, Scott Dixon has been uh, for for New Zealand. For anyone coming from New Zealand, it's 
you know, the, everyone knows about New Zealand now due to him. And anyone that's coming from New Zealand, it's it's we have a lot of more respect than some other countries, that's for sure. So, um, you know, he's a he's a great guy and someone that I certainly lo- love talking to. You know, even though we're competitors, it's nice to have like a Kiwi face just to go and talk, you know, bits and bobs about home and about everything. It's it's quite nice. So, I mean, socially, I mean, America's a huge place, obviously. Um, but socially, do you, you spend any time with them? Have you tapped him on the shoulder? Have you, you know, tapped his knowledge or, or, to any extent? Or is the fact that he's part of a uh, his team, uh, Chip Canassi, I think. So he, he's, you know, and they're highly competitive, yeah. those two teams. So um, do you, do you yeah. spend much time? Do you spend much time with with Scott? Yeah, not not um, away from the track. I guess in the, the hard thing, like, like you touched on, you know, he's at Chip Ganassi and, and Penske, and they're, they're arch rivals. They have been for years, so. It's it's. I wouldn't say it's awkward between the two of us, but I certainly, you know, when you get to the, uh, you know, to the track and you're sort of just hanging out with each other, it's a little bit different. But when we get back to the buses or the motorhomes and 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 you know, you can sort of see each other away from you know the pressure of that racing environment. He's cool, and and his bus driver Wide, he's a great guy as well, and he, and they're just a great family. Um, but away from the track, he lives in Indianapolis. I live about uh, you know nine hour drive away from him in Charlotte, North Carolina. So um, we're a little bit away from each other. But certainly, like whenever I see him at the racetrack, it's always a you know pretty easy conversation between the two of us. And I think he's, to be honest, from what I've seen, really enjoying having another Kiwi here. You know, and and um, it's uh, I'm sure there's a lot of also there's a lot of you know, young people coming through. Billy Fraser, he's, he's a New Zealand guy. Uh, Hunter McElroy that are coming up through the ranks that. Hopefully, we'll have a few more Kiwi flags in this business uh, in the next few years. Scott, you mentioned 240 miles an hour before, which is uh, very, very fast. So compare that, uh, I would imagine, coming out of uh, the, the bigger frame of, of a V8 car into a shell of a car. Uh, what are the speed differences and what is the feeling like um, from being uh, feeling slightly more protected, I, I guess, to very much exposed? Uh, I mean, what, what is that feeling like? None of us will experience that. Yeah, it's 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 completely different. Um, I guess in some ways, when your backside's only sort of you know a couple of centimeters off the deck, it's um it certainly feels a lot faster than it actually does, and, and it's kind of like a go kart. When you sit in a go kart, it feels really fast because you're so low. Uh, a supercar, obviously, you sit like a road car, and and it's uh you know all pretty similar to what you feel on the road, although you are going really quick. The Indy car, yeah, you're in like a little spaceship, a little canoe. If anything, if you took the wheels off, it looked like a canoe. So. It's um you know a, a completely different feeling. The G forces we pull, it's five or six Gs, especially on the ovals. So I've had to really build up my neck strength and my shoulder strength to be you know, even more um you know be able to just cope with the forces and, and the loads that I have through the steering wheel. But they they have their their similarities, but they also have their, their huge differences. Um, and that's what's been the challenge as well. I've had to adapt my driving style and adapt my training to the IndyCar um compared to the supercar, but yeah, look, it's they're, they're both very cool cars, and, and I count myself very lucky to have driven both of them. That's for sure. Thirteenth overall in the standings. I mean, this is a hell of a rookie year. You're the leading rookie, of course. Um, that that must be. Is is that an advance of expectations? I, I know you're a, you know you're, you're an aggressive sort of a guy, and and you set yourself high standards. But is is that sort of um, an advance of what you were hoping for first year in? Yeah, I think we, we said to each other, if we got into the top 10 this year, it, it'd almost be like a win for us. So, And we're well within striking distance for that. We're 20, 25 points off the top 10, which is, you know, we're very close to being able to do that. If we had three good rounds coming up in the next few weeks, 
to finish off the season, we could easily do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how I'm going. Like I said, I've had to really check my expectations a bit because I had a few good races at the start of the year and then I thought, far out, this is not too bad. And then, you know, you get knocked down, uh, your ego gets knocked around a little bit halfway through the season when you have a couple of bad runs. So it's all about controlling those expectations. And, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where we're at. Where, where we are at and um you know every track that i go to next year where I'll, I'll know the track will be just a completely different experience for me like right now i'm just learning on the run but plus i'm trying to feel what i want from the car as well which I, is a little bit more of an unknown as well so it's all been a little bit different but um you know it's i couldn't ask for a better rookie year and and the team i'm with to sort of build me up and, and get me better and better can i ask you what's your preference at this stage with the experience you have gained so far the oval track street type circuit what's been your preference well yeah well, i've had my best results on ovals and i and I, I i really have taken to ovals i love them um it's a, a different thrill but it's very intricate you've got to be you know really um you know positive with your your reactions and positive with what you're doing and what you feel on the car to make changes and get faster um the street and road courses i think because i've had so many bad habits not bad habits just habits from the supercar that I've had to really try and iron those out. So they've proven more difficult than anything. With the oval, it's just completely different. With the street and road courses, you've got some similarities there that one driving style can affect the other. So it's um yeah, it's it's been been interesting. Uh, but some of the tracks we've raced on, like the street courses and stuff, have been awesome. Like we've raced over bridges. Uh, some uh, there's uh you know Indianapolis road courses and all this different stuff. It's it's really cool. Hey, um, Scott, Quail Hollow, mate. You obviously play a bit of golf. Quail Hollow, tell yeah. us how we've Not many New Zealanders have been on there, man. Nah, I was pretty pumped with that. And I swear, I played it yesterday. Um, I was looking at a mid, mid, uh, low 80s, mid round, mid 80s round, and I, I, uh, I sprayed the last few holes on the green mile there. But um, awesome, awesome place, awesome place to. I've never played a PGA Tour course, so. That was the first time I've been on, and and seeing where those pros hit, like you know Foxy and and all those other guys, like it's it's uh it's pretty unreal. So um, it was awesome to play for sure. Obviously, a a lot of athletes, a lot of uh, competitors that go overseas miss home greatly. Um, and, and they miss their parents, and it's tough at the moment because of uh, of COVID, etc. That you can't be as close or up front as mm. you would like. Uh, so tell us about uh, your relationship with your parents and and your dad in particular, who. Uh, I mean, he follows every corner, every single move, every every you know gear change, etc. Uh, tell us about your relationship there, mate. Oh, look, obviously we're a pretty pretty tight family. My sister's actually in Sydney. She works she actually works with me in in terms of just my media and a few things that I have in in, in Australia. But um, my mum and dad they're in, in Cambridge. They're on a farm there, and and uh, yeah, they they certainly watch every race. They get up at two three a.m. in the morning to watch it. Um, yeah, Dad's always been a pretty vocal sort of person, and and very uh, excited from what I hear. Obviously, I don't know, but I see on videos it's pretty pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I think on the weekend when we're having our best result for a long time, he didn't sit down the whole race, and that's a three-hour race. So um, yeah, look, they just my biggest fans. I wouldn't be here without them. You know, they're uh, very they were very strict on me when I was younger. You know. There was, there was times where I probably could have gone and partied with my friends and hung out, but there was also that 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 one goal to get to the top. And um, if I didn't do you know, sacrifice little things here and there for you know what they you know what they said would help me in the long term, which it certainly did. You know, I don't think I would have been where I am. So um, 
yeah, missing them a lot. It was hard, the Indy 500, not having them there or not having my family there. It was the biggest race of my life outside of Bathurst and um, definitely was pretty emotional. But my wife is actually American, so it, a lot of her family and friends have come this year, which has softened the blow a little bit, which has been nice. So uh, it, it, we've, uh, yeah, like I said, softened the blow. Are you doing great, mate? Yeah, doing absolutely fantastic. I, I mean, I, for one, I'm a convert. No, Monday morning or Sunday morning, I, I'm right in front of the TV uh, following you and, and, uh, and yeah, Scott Dixon as well. It's been superb watching two of you, and in particular you on your first year. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. Um, I, I suppose it's Pebble, Pebble Beach next, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, we're going west coast, so uh, I'd love to try Pebble or, or something along that, but I might have grabbed my wallet out for that because it, I heard it's pretty expensive. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Hey, fantastic catching up with you. You're looking in a really good space. Uh, good luck to you, eh? Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Yeah, he is uh, a special sort of a, a human, isn't he? And uh, he's uh, handling it uh, with aplomb, it seems. And when he says he's going west coast, they, yeah, the next one is Sunday, the September the 12th. Uh, that is the Grand Prix of Portland um, in Oregon. So Portland International Raceway there. So yeah, he'll be on the west coast there. So look out for... Uh, Scott McLaughlin in his rookie year is certainly making a big statement. Uh, calls and texts, please. Calls and texts, 8833. We've got a, a two or three there all ready to read out. 8833 uh, is our text number. Subjects this morning, perhaps uh, Sophie Pascoe. Uh, just how good, how great. Uh, we had an interview with uh, Rowley before, her coach. Uh, how great, how uh, motivating is she for you to get off the couch uh, when you see what uh, she's achieved? Um, through uh, all of her setbacks. And, and also, of course, um, uh, we'll be having my multi just before 11 o'clock as well. A weekend multi which could uh, earn you quite a bit of hay if we're successful. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 9.51 here, and uh, perversely, the reduced pre-games training may be a good tapering for Sophie. I think some previous Olympian swimmers didn't taper enough. That's uh, from NBI. Uh, great smithy uh, interview with uh, Rolly. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, didn't she go well overnight? Uh, Matt Ingram is my neighbour. He is heavily involved with Sophie's team, but many, many other high-performance athletes as well. Uh, he's a scientist for all of them, so get him on for a yarn. Uh, don't be surprised if we call your number uh, to get Matt's number at, at some point along the way because that, that'll be an interesting thing. Always interested in hearing about the psychology behind top-level sport. Speaking of uh, top-level sport, well, I mentioned this morning in jest a wee bit uh, about the PGA and that, how much they're playing for. $9.5 million this time around. Uh, and at the moment, uh, John Rahm, man, is he playing some good golf at the moment? Number one in the world, uh, he's eight under. Uh, he's finished his first round with Sam Burns uh, at eight under. Uh, Abraham Anser, six under. Keegan Bradley, minus five. Uh, and Finau, Tony Finau, and of course, he won last week. He's backed up again this week with minus five. Sergio Garcia. So the cream is rising to the top, uh, top as you would imagine, when the big bucks are on display. Uh, minus five for Dustin Johnson. Rory McIlroy, minus five after just 13 holes. So... Um, yeah, the cream is rising to the top there. Uh, we will also be uh, perhaps in the panel talking about is that right to play for that kind of money? Morally, is it right? Uh, that will be uh, around about 20 past 10 this morning. After 10, uh, we shall be talking to Wyatt Crockett. But after this break, it's multi-time. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole 
Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Pretty damn close uh, last night, but pretty damn close isn't good enough. You punters will realise that. Uh, it's not a case of forget it round, went round, but it was, it was pretty competitive. The Gold Coast Titans uh, lost uh, with a last-minute drop goal, I mean last-second drop goal almost, uh, to Newcastle. That would have gone to uh, Golden Point possibly, but um, Newcastle managed uh, to get a drop goal there, and uh, that spoilt... Uh, proceedings. Uh, the Dodgers and uh, that game went so long against the Padres. I, I just wondered whether it would be finished in the time that we went to air this morning. But uh, yeah, they, the Dodgers got up in extra innings there. Um, but Fernando Vadasco, uh, his experience wasn't good enough in the qualifiers for the U.S. Tennis Open, uh, and he was beaten in three sets. So um, most disappointing. And around about that time, ten thirty last night, uh, we remember we had the horse uh, in the pacing for purpose. It was Tagadi in Hanover, race six, number two at the Mildura Trots. They finished fourth, but I hasten to add that wasn't my pick. Uh, my picks for this weekend: uh, the Rabbitohs halftime, full-time double, halftime, full-time double at a buck forty. West Ham United to beat Crystal Palace at a dollar fifty-three, and the French League Lille to beat Montpellier one dollar sixty-seven, and the AFL tonight Melbourne to beat Brisbane at a dollar sixty-six. That will get you five dollars ninety-three. $5.93. Uh, we'll give you details of that again later. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty confident about that one. 9.59 coming up at uh, 10 o'clock. Just ticking over now. It's time for the news. The all new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 10.03 here on SENZ in the mornings. Uh, what you won't know or might not know uh, about my next guest, his full name is Wyatt William Vogels Crockett. He is All Black number 1091. He currently uh, owns Sterling Sports in Trafalgar Street in Nelson. Uh, what, you will, what you will know though um, is the most incredible thing of all. He's the most super rugby capped player of all time and all four the same franchise, the Crusaders. Uh, good morning to you, Wyatt Crockett. I've got to say, uh, look, you're the South Island. You might get some respite today. What what would that mean business-wise for you? Oh, g'day, Smilly. Um, yeah, look, I guess we're just um, waiting to see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, it would be it would be nice to level three. I'd like to be able to go grab a coffee and I'm pretty keen to, to order some tie or something like that tonight, as, uh, tomorrow night, hopefully, as well, mate. But, um I will just wait and see, but yeah, um, that, that'd be probably the first couple of things I'll be doing. <laughs> I mean, it's tough, isn't it? You're, you're in retail, for God's sake. I mean, you need your doors yeah. to be open, you need people walking past your shop and into your shop. So, um, you know, it's not very often, you know, we, we, we're generally on the station talking to current sportsmen or, or previous sportsmen, but not sportsmen who, um, you know, are vested, are vested so heavily in, you know, in retail and needing it. Yeah, obviously um, it is a, a challenge, really challenging time. Um, but you know, we're, we're really fortunate we've, we've been here before, and, um, and I guess we understand the process. And um, you know, this time last year, to be honest, I was, I was a lot, a lot more scared going into that first lockdown um, about our business and that sort of thing. But this time around, you know, you know, you get the wage subsidy, 
um, which helps keep the staff on. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to work with our our landlords, and then you know, hopefully also, you know, once we come out of it on the other side, um, you know, uh, customers will continue to support local, and we'll, and we'll get we'll get back on track. So um, this time around, a lot more calm, and um, yeah, I guess having having been through it before, understanding, I guess what's ahead. Hopefully, um, <laughs> although it can change with this thing pretty quickly, as, as we've seen. Yeah, sure, uh, sure, can you've got to be flexible, but uh, it's uh, nice to hear that. Uh, your contingencies are in place, which would have given you, uh, with the downtime, the time off, uh, a little bit more time to look in depth about uh, the All Black squad, which is uh, headed away. Uh, they're back in business uh, yep. next weekend. It looks like it's now going to be the uh, Sunday the 5th at 2 o'clock Perth time, so it comes in on a good uh, time slot for us. Um, there's eight props, Wyatt. There's eight props in the mix. George Bauer, Ethan De Groot, Napola Lala, Tyrell Lomax, Joe Moody, and Gustavo Valcal, Tuanuku Afe, and Offa Tuangafasi. Uh, man, eight Shoot. props. Aren't you disappointed that you missed out? <laughs> Just, oh, mate, it can't be too far off, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we do have a lot of props in the squad now, obviously, with having to have you know, two specialists on both sides. Um, is that more than the, more props than loose swords? Well, probably pretty similar, is it? Yeah, I think it is. It's two more props than loose forwards. So, wow, they just emphasise yeah, well, the importance very, very of Very valuable job. part of the team, mate. The front row, so <laughs> not the front. What's, uh, what, what was, what's the pecking order, assuming that uh, Joe Moody's back? What would be your, your starting front row, um, assuming that, that he's available? Yeah, obviously, if, if Joe come, comes back in, he's obviously um, number one. He's... He's probably the best in the world. Um, has been for probably since the World Cup, to be fair. Um, so I'd say Joe Moody slots in um, as, your, as your starting loose head. You know, obviously, depending on how they want to manage him back from from a reasonably long-term injury. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, you've got Cody at hooker. And, and then on the other side, um, obviously, Nepo and then um, Offa will, will slot back in at some point, and those two are... When you look at um, the scrums now, um, and you look during the course of the match, do you, do you look in depth at the scrums? I mean, you know, there's such a talking point, and there's such a lottery, I think sometimes it's fair to say. Do you look at the way they are officiated and the way they're formed? Well, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think generally the scrums are, they haven't been too bad this year, um, from what I've seen in, in Super Rugby RTRI. And then, um, obviously, you know the New Zealand scrums were pretty dominant against the Aussies. But um, yeah, no, I think you know it's fairly, um, you know, it, it's a, it's it's kind of clear enough. Uh, now that we've had the you know the, the pre-engagement. That's been going around for a few years now, so everyone's getting their hands their around it, and, uh, and you're seeing a better result. I think uh, I think there's less there's less issues there, but could be wrong. Um, in terms of uh, ball carrying props, now my understanding was that they want to, uh, you know, your prop not just to be a prop as such, and and the scrum be it, and maybe mm. lifting the line out every now and then. But the ball carrying side of it, what what do you feel the emphasis is on ball carrying props these days? Yeah, well, look, the way that the game's played, you know, obviously the the front rowers are probably more 
your cleaners. Um, having said that, um, you need everyone to be able to handle the ball and distribute it um, and to be able to carry bloody hard. And, you know, you, you see, um, you know, the likes we've had Charlie Farmina, who was outstanding at um, getting over the advantage line. And, uh, you know, I think um, the best in the world, obviously, is Tom Boy, you know, like he's unbelievable with the ball. And he's like a, um, you know, you know, sometimes when you see him in the midfield, he's like bloody Manonu running through there, you know. So um, I think having having obviously physically big things, um, those props are over 120 kg. So if you can get those guys uh, to be able to use their feet, then they can be a real ball handler. Difficult to tackle being so heavy, you know. So you know, a mismatch prop versus a um, or a midfielder that doesn't really want to get their head, uh, head in around those knees and hips, then you know, that can be quite damaging. So I think you know, it's, it's, it makes sense that teams are really trying to um, use those guys, and if they've got that ability to um, do their set piece really well, then they bring the other ball carrier, then um, you know, I think it's, it can be a really important um, piece, of, piece of the attacking armoury, really. You spend a lot of your time uh, in the All Black jersey, of course, uh, under the tutelage of Mike Cron. Uh, now, of course, uh, the scrum boss is, is Greg Feek. Uh, you'd know Greg Feek really well. What are his traits? Yes, I think he was the crusades and Catherine's setups when I first started. Um, so I guess, um, and, and he sort of went away and went overseas for a long part of that time. So I didn't speak him all that well when I was playing with him. Um, but, you know, the time I sort of caught up with the last year is that he was coaching with the uh, Irish um, national side. And he was, he was he was really good. often catch up for a beer after a game. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's, he's just a really genuine guy, really cares about people. Um, but he's obviously done a fantastic job over a long time. You know, um, tried too long, you know, a lot of people would say that he's probably the best player in the world, and um, I think Fiki, uh, you know, spent a huge amount of time with with Tuck and got him to where you know helped him get to where he is, and um, and that Irish scrum and the hull was really was a powerful scrum as well. So he's he's got a great track record, um, you know, and, and I'm sure he's just getting up with the All Blacks. It takes a bit of time to build, um, uh, I guess. His, his systems and structures and get that through all the Super Rugby players through New Zealand and then through the All Blacks and you know I'm sure he'll be um, you know he wouldn't have wanted to wipe the floor with what Crono had done over a long period of time because um, you know Crono has done an amazing job as well but he'll, he'll be bringing a few different things that he's learnt from his, his time up in the Northern Hemisphere I'm sure so um, yeah very good coach and yeah a great man as well Vicky. 10.12 a.m. here on SENZ. Uh, we're talking to uh, Wyatt Crockett, of course, uh, a prodigious super rugby player, uh, a heap and heap of games and experience, of course, in the black jersey as well. Uh, knows a lot of these guys, not that far long out of the game himself. So, um, Wyatt, we've been talking uh, during the week about uh, stand-in captaincy as well because we've... Uh, We've uh, lost uh, Sam Whitelock. We've lost um, uh, Aaron Smith, who have both been captains this year. Richie Mawonga is staying behind. Dane Coles, who'd be a candidate as well, is not going there. Shannon Brazell's not there. 
uh, not that he'd be a leader anyway, but um, we're talking about the merits of Cody Taylor. Now, uh, you would know Cody Taylor very well. What, uh, what are the traits of playing alongside him which would make him a really good all-black captain? Oh, Coates is, um, obviously, he's a world-class player. Um, you know, his, his ability to be, you know, an extremely dominant set-piece forward. You know, he, he nails his throws. Uh, his, his scrummaging's world-class. And, and then, you know, he brings a similar level of um, activity around the paddock. So he's, a, he's an incredibly well-rounded player to start with. So um, that's, that's the first tick, um, which is, you know, crucially important to be a leader of the All Blacks, and then uh, his style of leadership is very much, uh, he's an actions man, um, you know, he, he's one of the hardest workers in the group, um, he's he's a, uh, you know, champion bloke, you know, he's got great personal standards, um, so just all of those attributes you expect from a leader, um, you know, and, and, and when he talks, people listen, um, because he's just got that respect within his within his peers, um, so yeah, he, he, for me, Codes. I actually thought um, that that Codes might end up being the captain of the Crusaders when uh, when Sammy stepped aside, but um, they went with Scotty Barrett, who's also you know fantastic captain. But yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised that, that Cody's in that conversation. That's for sure. Uh, Wyatt Crockett, um, of course, we've just watched. Uh, was, a lot of people would say it's a fairly tedious series between the Springboks and the Lions, and, and of course that was basically all about set-piece, not a lot of flair in there. How did you rate, um, uh, bearing in mind uh, we're, we're up against the Springboks very shortly, and people say they're the yardstick now uh, in terms of 15-man uh, football, how did you rate uh, the, the Springbok scrum, and how would you compare it to uh, the All Blacks? Bearing in mind uh, we're up against them very shortly. Yeah, I thought they did did a fantastic job. You know, they were up, up against obviously the Lions, who um, always were going to have a, a fantastic set piece. You know, they're picking from the four um, four home provinces, and and they're all you know strong in that area. So, um, you know, for Springboks to do what they did against the Irish, uh, British and Irish Lions, you know, is is a, is no mean feat. Um, but they come up against an All Black pack who's who's also you know been outstanding in this area and, and very rarely beaten um, over the last, for a long time. So, um, you know, that particular matchup I think is going to be fantastic. I've heard a bit of stuff in the media talking about how they, you know, they've got a better scrum and a better maul and all this sort of stuff. Um, but the proof will be in the pudding. I, I know that um, the All Blacks would have heard those messages and that, that'll get them up, get them right up for, for the challenge. So, um, you know, I think that, that sort of that sort of clash will be mouth-watering and, um, you know, knowing a few of those blokes, they'll, they'll be taking that, those sort of messages personally and um, it'll, be, it'll be one of the, the key parts of that series and I'm looking forward to it. You've been on a lot of overseas uh, trips uh, with the All Blacks but uh, none of them, I'm sure, would have uh, lasted to the extent of 12 weeks with their 10 test matches thrown in. So, uh, as we mentioned, they'll, they'll need every bit of the, the eight props that they've got but... Uh, that's a, a gruelling schedule for for any side when you consider the, the territory and the and the quarantine etc. They've got to go through these days. Um, so we will get a great yardstick on where Ian Foster's men are uh, at uh, at the end of the year, won't we? Oh, mate, it is. Yeah, you 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 did right. You'll you'll get a good feeling of how the group's tracking and 
how the team's feeling. I think um, one of the biggest things on a on a you know extended tour like this, and I've never been on one this long, um, is I guess that team culture. Um, you know, and and for a for a group of people to be away that long, you know, you're living with each other every day, day in day out. Um, with you know, living with a roommate. Um, you know, there's there's five different franchises how everyone you know gets on with one another um is is a massive part of how how they'll perform you know so um no doubt there's a lot of people that have been around for a long time and they'll understand the importance of that and um but yeah i think that's that's probably the going to be the telling thing and how successful they are this year you know that we know that they're been playing some good rugby against the australians um I think that that level of competition goes up a notch um, from from here. I think um, you know South Africans have proven to be a um, a side that's right at the top of their game, and and so that'll be a big challenge. And then up north as well. So yeah, I think the biggest thing will be just testing those, testing that culture, testing that um, the ability for players to to stay stay focused and stay at their best for such a long period of time, which is is bloody challenging and. And no doubt they'll have some plans in place to um, to give some players maybe some time off during that period, um, maybe some maybe some time out of the environment throughout that period because you know it is a long time to stay up for, and um, you know they'll they'll be thinking about lots of different ways that they can keep you guys engaged for a long period of time, and and, and that may involve giving some guys some, some breathers over that period. I'd suggest. Well, one of the other interesting things that uh, has come out of this week in rugby, um, there's been a lot of issues, but uh, uh, Ian Foster being confirmed as coach. Now, you used to know Scott Robertson really well. Uh, how do you think uh, Scott yep. Robertson uh, will take this? What do you think his next, next step will be? Bearing in mind that if it works well for Ian Foster, um, who knows what, what the future is in terms of the all-black coaching? I mean, if he won the World Cup, would he stay on? What does that mean to Scott Robertson? What should he do, in your opinion? You know, I think... It was probably um, to be expected. I, I think um, Razor and those guys would have would have expected that that Aussie would get extended through to the end of the World Cup. So I don't think that'll be a, a big surprise for them. And um, yes, obviously, you know, he would have been ready to, to step up if, if the opportunity arose. But I think this is pretty much part of the course, and um, and Razor will be basically, I'm sure. Planning on hope, hopefully being ready to go if he's if he's required once once that World Cup's over, um, and you know like you said if it's a successful one for Fozzie and he wants to continue then generally um, that option would be would be given but um, and and if not then then Razor's ready to go um, but I I do believe at the end of this four years if if, um, if Razor's not um, selected to go to take over then I think you'll probably want to. Do something else. Um, being a being a coach of one um, one team for such a long period of time, he'll, he'll want to grow and he'll want to do something different. He'll want a new challenge. So um, yeah, it'll be an interesting an interesting choice if the All Blacks were successful and Razor was um, whether they go for Fozzie again or whether they go for fresh blood. Um, it would be a bold call to. Um, to, to I guess to drop a um, coach that's just won a World Cup, but you know we've seen it. Uh, I think Jake White got got the hex after after he was successful, didn't he? Mm, he did.
Hey, look, just finally, one, one thing that's just uh, come to mind. Uh, there's a new bloke uh, joining the Hurricanes next year. You might have heard of him. I think, I think his name's Owen Franks. Owen Franks going back to the Hurricanes. <laughs> does, that, does that make you get your boots out of the closet and just start cleaning those uh, <laughs> super long sprigs or what? <laughs> it's impressive, mate. Um, now, he's a bit younger than me, old uh, Owie. He, he started very, very young. I think he was 19 when he first played first class rugby. So, um, uh, yeah, he's, he's got a bit, bit of youth on his side. So, um, it definitely doesn't make me want to dust off the old boots, that's for sure. I'm, I'm well into retirement now, mate. I've, I've got myself a, um, a, a cushy uh, office job. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be a long way away from playing. But oh, it's, it's good for New Zealand rugby to have someone like Owie come, come into, back into Super Rugby. Um, no doubt he'll bring a wealth of knowledge to that group. And, um, and, and to be fair, in, in the area where the Hurricanes have probably needed someone uh, experienced like Owie to really lead the way. So, mate, that's a massive, massive, uh, I guess, a coup for, for the Hurricanes to pull off getting someone of Owie's stature, and it could, it could be a bit of a game-changer for them. Always great catching up with you, uh, Wyatt. Let's hope uh, the till is ringing um, with some good news for you this afternoon, and uh, tomorrow morning you can perhaps open the doors and uh, Nelsonians will flood in looking for sporting equipment. Uh, stay, stay healthy down there, mate, in that, that paradise that is Nelson. All the best. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Mabby. Been good talking, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, always is. Always is uh, Wyatt Crockett, one of the uh, great blokes of rugby. Uh, 10.22 here on SCNZ in the mornings. Uh, when we come back, it's panel time. Yeah. 10.27 here on uh, SCNZ in the mornings. Uh, our guests on the panel this morning, uh, Guy Havelt uh, from TVNZ fame, uh, and Jamie Wall, who's a freelance uh, rugby writer, author of several very good rugby books. And I, I promise you, Folks, if you haven't seen either of these two people in person, you've probably seen Guy a lot, not so much Jamie, but neither of them would get much line-out ball, I can promise you that. So uh, they <laughs> speak about rugby uh, very much from the nine-outward bracket. Uh, so let's, let's start with you, Jamie, and, and let's talk about a, a bloke who uh, you're a bit interested in here who does get some line-out ball from time to time, uh, is Shannon Frizzell. What's uh, the take on this one? Uh, I understand he's not going because of visa problems or... Or something of that nature. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for that um, great introduction. I'm sure Guy really um, appreciated that as well. Um, <laughs> but yes, we've um, we've we, we found out the squad, uh, the All Black squad yesterday. They left it very late to um, name this, and I'm not sure whether this had something to do with it or not. Um, they, they literally named the squad as the team was getting to the airport, um, and Shannon Fazell's name wasn't on the team sheet, and. Uh, yeah, he's not travelling with the team to Australia because of visa issues over the uh, assault uh, case that's kind of swirling over above his head at the moment. And the way that the All Blacks have dealt with this has has sort of left me feeling that they're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too on here. That he he was punished. He was given a one match uh, suspension or two match suspension with another one backdated back to his game against the uh, game for the Hollanders. Um, when when the incident happened, um, and so he's been punished there, and then they're trying to kind of use this as a way to say, well, this hasn't really got anything to do with us, and then hopefully he can join the team at a later date, which again is that's up in the air because 
he may not be actually be able to because of the lack of MIQ spots uh, at the other end. Um, and so it's just a little lack of transparent, transparency around uh, how he's actually been viewed by the team. It would have been nice to hear Ian Foster actually say something definitive about the way that um, they're viewing uh, what actually happened because the last time he talked about it since then, uh, a lot of other details have come out about uh, what actually happened with Brazil down there in Dunedin and the, some threats he made uh, after that, that happened. So for a guy like that to be pulling on an all-black jersey, well, I mean, there's going to be a few question marks if that actually does happen again. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, we'll uh, wait for more information if it comes out. Probably won't, actually, uh, under what you've just said, Jamie, but uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on the, the Shannon Frizzell pulse. Uh, listen, um, Guy Havel, interesting, isn't it, that um, you know, all these players that are not going, I, I know it's a sign of the times now, the modern world that we live in, that uh, family first, footy later, I can't really imagine Colin Meads and BJ Lahore and uh, Ian Kirkpatrick <laughs> staying home, but ha- having just said that, um, I'm old and um, they're not, so here's the thing, uh, massive leader, just not, um, just not a captain they're looking for, but uh, quite a lot of leadership when you think about it, who would be your captain? Yeah, it's a great question. I've actually been pondering this in the last few days, and I know a lot of people are saying Artie Savia, and I'm a little bit, I'm not so sure about Artie, and, and this might rub a few people up the wrong way, but I just find the way that he's kind of dealt with a few stories about him and his teammates in the past, i.e. the mouth guards, and then the one with Josh Ioane as well, taking shots at media on Twitter, that to me is not really an All Blacks captain. Um, I'd be more leaning towards someone like Cody Taylor, who's led the Crusaders pretty well and uh, has obviously had a bit of success with them. I'd probably be leaning towards someone like him. They obviously want someone in the Fords usually, so I suspect that rules out someone like you know Bowden Barrett or something like that. I don't know why you'd give it to Bowden Barrett when he's got so much on his plate anyway. Uh, but you're right, it certainly leaves a big hole in the leadership area. Um, and, and, and yeah, it probably comes down to someone like um, you know, a, a Taylor or, or, or a Savia, and I would probably lean towards Taylor myself. You guys have got great recollection. Uh, recollection. That's, that's why we have the panel, because uh, you keep <laughs> reminding me of, of things and issues that are, have long gone from my bonds, I'll tell you that. Uh, here's one, uh, Jamie Wall, which is very prominent in, in my thinking at the moment. Uh, Sophie Pascoe. Uh, look, just how good. I mean, last night uh, she got the silver medal, so that's another one to, uh, she can put on the mantelpiece. So, but it wasn't even in her favourite event. Just uh, how do you rate uh, Sophie Pascoe? Oh, well, what an ambassador she is and what an incredible athlete um, she is. And congratulations to her and her team for another bit of silverware. I'm sure she's probably got a vault somewhere <laughs> where she keeps all her medals. <laughs> um, but she, she really is. Uh, a shining example of of uh, someone who's overcome obviously um, you know adversity to get to where she is and is carrying on a tra- proud tradition of um, para athletes uh, that goes all the way back to someone whose whose name is on an award that she may well end up lifting up one day the Murray Helberg so you know it, it, it's it's a it's a fantastic tradition that New Zealand has in, in para-athletics and something that we should be really, really proud of. And one thing I really like about Sophie is the way that she's transcended uh, that. She is very much seen as an athlete, first and foremost. And, you know, you can see that with her endorsement deals and the profile that she has. Um, she's out there and she is regarded by the general, you know, she's recognised. And you could make a case for her being one of the, 
you know, more famous sportswoman that we have in this country, and that's really just down to the dedication and hard work that she's put in. Well, Wonderfully said by Jamie the... Smithy. I'll just jump. I'll, I'll just jump in there. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the thing that, that that is remarkable about last night for me. I don't know if you've seen her comments, but she said that she she only added that late in the piece because she wanted a warm up race to get into the ones that she thought she was a good chance of winning gold in, and she only finished second by you know the the the, the slim slim margin of a, of a few hundredths of a second. I mean. If that's what she's doing in a warm-up race, it bodes pretty well for the rest of the meet, doesn't it? Well, you'd, you'd have had plenty of dealings with her over the years because hers is a rich history guy. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here you've, you've spoken to her in person and, and done some work with her? Yeah, I've spoken to her a couple of times, probably not as much as, as, as other people, but as Jamie said, she, she's a wonderful ambassador, not just for Paralympic sport, but for sport in New Zealand in general around the world. I mean, she is one of the most well-known uh, para-athletes globally and, and also just one of the, the more well-known swimmers globally as well because of what she's been able to achieve. Um, she's, she's very down-to-earth. She's very humble. She gets emotional when she wins. She know, you, know, you can see how much it means to her. Um, she's a great person to interview. She doesn't just give you the same, trot out the same old boring lines. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish her all the best, and, and I, I can't see why this won't be an incredibly successful Paralympics for her. Uh, and it's great that people are getting behind it because, um, you know, this this is, you know, so many of these sports are, are just fascinating to watch, but these are proper athletes as well. They may, in, in a lot of aspects, look different to, to, to the able-bodied athletes, but what they can do um, is, is just simply remarkable, and, and she is she is at the at the more remarkable end of that scale, that's for sure. Guy, the Warriors' season um, it may well mathematically come to an end tonight. It might not. They might uh, be continuing to tease us. How would you sum up this year, this year of um, of, of COVID, NRL, and uh, their base overseas, even changing overseas from time to time? Uh, what, when it's finished, what what will you think about it? Well, it's disappointing that they haven't made the eight. Uh, I will say that straight off the bat with, with the players that they managed to get and the roster that they did have. However, I'm, I'm willing to give them a little bit of leniency, or quite a lot of leniency, actually, for the fact that, once again, for the second season in a row, and, and that's a lot of time. If you've got family or whatever, let, let's just sit back and think about this for a bit. Being away from them for however long it has been, being away from, and I know if you, a lot of them do actually have family over there, but, but but some of them don't. Being away from home crowd as well that plays a lot of a part for a for a for a sports team, um, and 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 they are probably going to miss the eight, but they're only just going to miss the eight. So I'm willing to give them a bit of leniency. What I would say though is is that I know a lot of people, and I don't know if, if people are just saying this in a joking manner. But a lot of people are trotting out the same online. Oh, they'll be good next year. Well, they have to be good next year if if they can get some sort of um, some sort of home games um, to play at Mount Smart Stadium. If that's able to happen, then they have to be good next year because uh, this is a Warriors team that has good players again and needs to be pushing into that top four. I think to 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 you know for. for 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 non rugby league fans, I think to have a bit of res- to get a bit of respect for them in terms of what they do on the field. I think how they've handled themselves off the park this year has been pretty good. Um, but I would say, yeah, I'd say I'd give them a pass mark um, because of all the factors that they've had to do. But next year, if they get things going their way, uh, then I think they have to make the top six at least. Well, Jamie, uh, you'd have been probably more interested in the fact that they lost RTS to Auckland Rugby, and we're still. 
uh, sitting around waiting for that to eventuate, and it doesn't look like it's going to be this weekend or perhaps next weekend as far as Auckland are concerned. So uh, would you have a thought on uh, how you saw the Warriors' season, or is it not that high on your radar? Oh, no, I've definitely been following the Warriors um, this year. You know, they, 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 if nothing else, there's, there's always something to talk about um, with them, um, which <laughs> makes them, you know, such great, great, um, you know, it's great, they're great for us. Um, I think that, you know, the off-field moves that they made, like the guy alluded to, I mean, getting Bruce Walsh was a, was a massive, you know, uh, massive signing, especially after it became clear that RTS was uh, going to be moving on. Um and yeah, it is it is a bit disappointing um, the way they've got. But I think there's one thing that uh, kind of comes back to for me is that they'd, they'd planned that homecoming game back in um, I can't remember what when the date was, and it was all and you know it had sold out quite fast, and mm. it was all looking like you know things were kind of going to get back to normal for them, and perhaps they could stay in New Zealand perhaps till the end of the season, uh, and then that just got completely wiped off off the map. And I think that that represented a point in the season where things started to sort of go south a bit for them. And I, I, I can't understate how in this in this day and age, uh, when you have things come up on your radar that you think, oh, you know, things are going to get back to normal, and then all of a sudden they just dash like that. Like how much of a mental toll um, that can have on those guys. Uh, so you know, I don't. You know, there's always going to be an asterisk over this season and last season for them. Um, how next season is going to play out, like whether they'll be back. Uh, they do have an interesting... Uh, it is interesting for the NRL right now because uh, they could be used as a kind of a guinea pig team um, to be based in Redcliffe, uh, where where the um, NRL was looking at expanding uh, into another Queensland side um, down there and just to sort of test the waters because they had, did have a game yeah, the other uh, the other weekend um, that was really well attended. So they could pe- perhaps find a new base there um, and just set up permanently, um, which would be a real shame for league fans over here. But just again, that's just the way it is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully things things will get better next year. Here's a, a final one for you, Guy Havelt. Uh, the PGA, the US PGA. I'm sure you're a keen golfing fan as well. Uh, in the three weeks, the last week, this week, and the next week, they're going to be playing for around about sixty million, sixty million US dollars. The winner, the winner, gets a bonus of fifteen million US dollars. Is do you find that slightly perverse or obscene at all? That, that's our that's our fee for coming on your show, isn't it, Smithy? I, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Look up. <laughs> Especially if we're going to get abused I, I at, the, at the start like that. Well, that's the thing. You, you get paid. You get. You get. You get paid per centimetre, fellas. So there you go. Oh, well, you got a bargain, have you? <laughs> Look, in, in, in all seriousness, I, I do think it's a bit crazy. But in saying that, um, you know, these sponsors are, are willing to pay this money, and and that money's got to go somewhere. A lot of these players are very good in terms of what they give to charity and. And setting up things for for, for golf, young golfers who want to get involved in the sport. So, um, you know, I, yeah, it's a crazy and absurd amount of money. But but there's a lot of sports where there's an absurd amount of money. I see Cristiano Ronaldo might be heading to Manchester City. My, I, I suspect my eyes will water when I see the fee that he transfers there for. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's a crazy amount of money. Uh, and saying that, some good golf at the moment. And how good is John Rahm? The guy can't seem to do anything wrong. He's good. He's very, very good. Uh, leading uh, at the moment too in the BMW 
Uh, but Rory McIlroy's uh, pretty hot on course at the moment too, so that's uh, the live sport that's going on. Uh, Jamie Wall, fantastic. Uh, Guy Havelt, uh, uh, fantastic as well. Great to have you guys and uh, have a wonderful weekend and let's hope you get some some uh, good news this afternoon that uh, you can write and speak about. That would be cool. Right, 88.33 is our text number. What have you uh, thought of those views? Uh, I can always already tell you that um, Chris with a K is not that uh, happy or that worried about uh, players taking shots at the media. He think, think that's uh, important. So we'll, we'll come back with that one very shortly. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, some texts that have come in, Ian Smith. Now talk about my Hurricanes tonight. Uh, watch out other Super Rugby teams next year. It's on the back of Owen Franks joining the ranks and the scrum being very stable. Uh, we spoke to Wyatt Crockett just before and uh, he thinks it's a hell of a signing for the Hurricanes. Uh, good to see that Sanzar have confirmed the third Australia test in Perth. Is Sunday the 5th of September, 2pm West Australian time, New Zealand time, 6pm. From Michael, thanks Michael for informing us uh, about that. Uh, also, uh, here's one, John, you might like to uh, just chip in on, so to speak. Uh, taking shots at the media doesn't define what kind of captain he will be, talking about Ari Savia. Um, it's what the team thinks of him. That's uh, from Chris. Now, you've been part of that uh, media feeding frenzy at press conference after press conference ferreting out for information and thing like things like that. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your take on that, on players taking shots at the media from time to time? Yeah, that was uh, Chris in response to Guy Havelt on the panel saying he didn't think Artie Sevilla was captaincy material because of uh, some certain things that he said on social media, supporting Josh Iwani when he was having those parties and annoying his neighbours. He was saying, hey, media, don't you have your better things to do? Uh, and he's uh, quite often said, what is the point of the media um, while using the media at the same time, I guess, to pump up his own, uh, I think, fashion business and things like that. And, you know, um, the media pumps up players. They make they make them superstars quite often. Smithy, I know they'd make it there on their own performances, but there is a role for the media to pump up players. Um, they, they, I don't think the media want Artie Sevilla to go, oh, thank you so much, media, for making me the man I am today, but just don't be anti Media, you've got to actually understand that the media are out there to do a good job. They're out there to, to pump you up. Uh, and if you do do something wrong, of course, they'll report it. But they're not out to get you. So I think that's what uh, Guy's kind of heading towards. I don't think it rules him out of the captaincy material. In fact, I think it shows that Adi Savia is a loyal man to his players. And I think that's exactly what will make him captaincy material, Smithy. So this is a real 50-50 for me, I think, between Cody Taylor and Artie Savia. I think when um, Brad Moore spoke to the Breakfast Boys yesterday, he kind of intimated it might be Artie Savia who captains the All Blacks. Well, most people we've talked to have thought Cody Taylor. So I wonder where this one's going to sit. Yeah, so Wayne Shelford, the, the great buck, uh, he was very much in the camp of, of uh, Artie Savia. I've got to say, um, being on both sides of the fence uh, in terms of being a player and now being very much in the media, um, it's a really interesting scenario. I remember taking exception on a number of occasions uh, at what uh, media people had said about my game and New Zealand cricket's team's game at certain times and other players within the group. Uh, you, you know, kind of had, had the felt as if you had the right to take it personally, but at the end of the day, I think um, when you get a little bit older and wiser, you've been around a little bit longer, you, you, you kind of think it's going to balance up. You kind of think that, you know, if you have enough good days, that will be reflected. You have some bad days um, and disappointing days, that will be reflected as well. 
no one likes to read uh, bad things about themselves in the media. I, I remember when I first got picked to play for New Zealand, I, I ran into it at a function, um, the great JJ Stewart. Remember him? The great JJ Stewart, one of the great All Black coaches and tough men of, of all time. And he said, I'll give you a piece of advice, son, and take it to heart if you want to or ignore it if you want to. But now that you've made it, now that you've made it into the team, never read, never read another newspaper. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, I've been trumpeting, trumpeting Australian racing and the fact that they just get on with it over there and they adhere to the rules, but... um, through it all, uh, we see some racing. But uh, Louis Herman Watt, I've been reading this morning on racing.com that there's some Victorian jockeys and some very high-profile ones at that in a spot of bother. Bang on, Smithy. The day before the first Group 1 of the season in Victoria, tut, tut to these top jockeys that have been absolute love. Let, love let them down, really. So we've got... Ben Mallum and Jamie Carr, they are the star jockeys. Jamie Carr is the, the state's premier jockey. And along with them, Ethan Brown and the talented apprentice, Celine Gaudry. Now, they've caught up with some mates in an Airbnb. Of course, Melbourne, well, they've been in lockdown for 70, 70% of the days over the last year. Something crazy like that. This is, you know, something that is taken really seriously over there. It's very close to the it's very close to the skin and the surface. And, and that they should have known better, especially ahead of the spring racing carnival where as you point out smithy we know how delicate it is we've just been over here we've we've missed our racing dearly and we've been trumpeting them uh racing victoria chief executive giles thompson has slammed them this is strong the alleged behavior of these four jockeys is a slap in the face to every member of the racing industry that has worked incredibly hard to protect the sport and the community while continuing to race since covid restrictions were first introduced in march 20 these individuals could have put at risk every continue uh, the very very continuance of our sport and blatantly disregarded the broader community. I think that is bang on the mark. Now, Jamie Carr, well, she had a lovely book of rides tomorrow, including the boom galloper Ayrton in the last. Uh, she had Behemoth and the, the Mimsy, who's going to be riding the market. Lunicorn, another couple of great rides. And now they've got to find new jockeys. And, and, and um, I guess for punters, well, your form kind of changes a little bit. So, yeah, shocking, shocking, Smithy. Yep, good on you, Louie. Thanks for that. Uh, have a good weekend and uh, punt well. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 11.03 here on SENZ. Uh, Morena, good morning to you wherever you are. The Aussie NBL season is still a while away, but the breakers have uh, been pretty busy over the last week or so with a, a few developments at, at the club. One legend has left uh, while the Breakers have signed an ex-NBA player of, of real note. So uh, joining us now is the club CEO, Matt Walsh, uh, of course co-owner as well of the, the Breakers franchise. Uh, to, uh, to talk along those developments, uh, Matt, good morning to you. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, no problem at all. First of all, the good news, uh, you've been able to uh, sign uh, imported player Peyton Siva. Tell us a wee bit about Peyton Siva. Yeah, Peyton was an amazing signing for the club. Um, I think Dan alluded to it in the article this week, but 
um, we almost we, did, we didn't think we had any chance to sign Peyton. When his agent brought it to us, um, we just thought there was going to be too big of a gap in terms of salary and um, what Peyton was looking for. I mean, he started in the EuroLeague every game the last four years. He's a you know an NBA EuroLeague level player. He had a short short run with the Detroit Pistons. He's going to be one of the best players in the league. Um, and for us to get a guy like that who can run the team, who can score when needed, but most importantly, he's a guy you give the ball to him at the end of games and he runs the show. It's really exciting. I think he's going to be a great compliment for our young guys. He's going to help our locals, Finn Delaney, Tom, Yanni, pick and roll. It's going to be really exciting. We couldn't be more excited to have him. So how were you able to, to cut a deal then if you were worried about you know the gap in salary and that kind of thing? How were, were you able to cut that kind of a deal? Well, we had a lot of conversations with Peyton, um, him and Dan especially. Uh, he expressed an eagerness and, um, you know, he wanted to play for Dan. Um, and then he, he wanted to come somewhere where it was safe from COVID. And, of course, ironically, now we're in lockdown. But um, we've handled the COVID situation so well. Him and his family, he's got a wife and two daughters. They really wanted a situation that was a little bit different than Europe last year. Um, they got hit hard by COVID. The travel was really tough. And they wanted to come somewhere where, um, living was really great, an organization that they trusted, and um, they decided that this was the place that they wanted to spend this year, so we're very excited. So you've got uh, two pretty good point guards now, exceptional points guards, uh, when you look at uh, Ty Webster as well, so you're pretty well covered in uh, that key area of the court. Yeah, we've also got Will McDowell-White, so we see Ty starting for us at two guard off the ball, letting Peyton run the show. Ty is such a good rebounder, um, from the guard positions, he'll rebound and run a lot. But that's the great thing about having guys like Ty. He's so physically gifted. You can put him at, at basically any position. Um, and then having Will is a real luxury as well. So at the guard position, we're super strong. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that led to um, our release of Corey Webster, just the, the fact that we were so deep at guard. Um, and we still have other imports to add that it just made sense for both parties. But um, there's no question, you know, we're, we're going to go into the season, um, you know, knock on wood, healthy, and we're going to be very deep. And having all the guys here already hopefully start training as soon as we're in level three is really an advantage for us. For various reasons, of course, it was a tough year last year, injuries, etc., losing key players at, uh, at the worst possible time. 12 wins and 24 losses, uh, Matt. So... Uh, Dan Shamir, uh, you're happy with the role as head coach that he's performed? Yeah, he's been amazing. I mean, if you look at just this off season, um, you know, just to touch on last year, um, you know, it was, it was very difficult. Uh, we had a bunch of injuries. We were on the road. You've seen with the Warriors and other teams that have had to do the extended travel, five and a half months, we, we changed location nine times. So it wasn't like we even had a home base. It was really difficult. Um, and then if you look at the tail end of Dan's first year, how well we performed when we were healthy, we've been a little bit sneaked bit by injury, but complete confidence in Dan and the rest of the staff. Exciting to get him and Modi re-signed for three years. Um, and one of the reasons that we're able to get guys like Peyton Siva, uh, guys like Usman Dieng, who's going to be a top 10 pick in next year's NBA draft, is their confidence and their willingness to come play for Dan. So um, for us, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, to have those guys back, it gives us continuity. All the locals love those guys. Um, couldn't be happier. I've been around basketball for a long time, and Dan is one of the best basketball minds I've ever been around. Uh, we're talking to Matt Walsh, who, uh, of course, is the CEO of the Breakers uh, Developments. Players uh, coming and going. One of those going, um, of course, was a pretty uh, high-profile release, and, and Corey Webster, uh, Matt. Uh, the release uh, at the time said uh, by mutual consent, 
uh, even though uh, Corey had two years to run on his contract. Now, are you able to enlighten us a wee bit more about his departure? Yeah, I mean, we touched on it already. With the, with the, you know, we never anticipated being able to get a guy like Peyton Siva, such a high-level player, NBA player. When we signed Peyton and we looked at the depth we have at the guard position with the ability to still add imports, um, it was pretty clear that Corey's role wasn't going to be what, um, what it's been in the past. And he's 32 years old, and he's been such a big part of this club and what he's done. You know, we just felt like it was our responsibility as an organization to lay out to him what we saw his role being this year. And um, like any really good high-level player, he felt like he could do more and give more, and he asked for the opportunity to find, um, you know, some place that he could go and, and have a bigger role, and we allowed him to do that. And he got a really good opportunity for himself that he felt like he wanted to take, and we were willing to let him go. So, um, you know, we always try and do right by the players when we can, uh, you know, with Corey especially, we've let him go to China before. We denied him going to Turkey. So we've been through this before um, with Corey. Sometimes it works for the club and the player, and this is just one of those situations. Yeah, through all the, um, the, the trials and tribulations uh, of his career, you look back on it, though, it's still been uh, wonderfully successful on the court. Uh, three championships, over 200 games. Uh, you've already uh, at the North Shore headquarters there. Uh, you've got three jerseys hanging up, C.J. Bruton, Dylan Boucher, and Paul Hanale. Uh, Corey Webster may just be a bit of a candidate there in time. I think so. I mean, I think Corey, when it's all said and done, he's going to be the top one or two two guards. Uh, you know, him and Kirk Penny, or you know, maybe Ty will be up there at the end of his career. But Corey's one of the best New Zealand basketball players ever. And um, he's done a lot for the club. He's been a part of the club four separate times for, I think, 11 seasons. So, um, you know, I wouldn't rule out a return in the future. Again, this was just kind of a, a circumstance that worked out that it was probably best for the player to find another opportunity and it was best for the club. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see number nine hanging up there one day. Uh, I always joke with him that whenever I, uh, I take a jersey for the season, it's a Corey Webster jersey. So I'm going to miss him. Um, I see a lot of myself when I was a player in Corey and, um, He's a great player for the club, and I think, you know, hopefully we'll bring him back and he'll retire with the Breakers one day. So, Matt, where are you now uh, in terms of your complete roster? Yeah, so we're going to go into preseason with one import slot to fill. We've signed another import, which will be announced this week, and a young, exciting player. We've obviously got the next star. All of our locals are signed. So we just have one more roster spot to add. Um, we're going to, because we've been able to, build a roster that's so deep with locals at every position. Um, and because we've got such great locals, Tom Abercrombie, Finn Delaney, Yanni Wetzel, Ty, um, the list goes on. We're very fortunate that we're going to keep that, that final um, import spot available. We're going to see what we need. And at some point from now and likely before the season, we'll add another, another import. But we're just about there. We just have one import to add. Now, in terms of uh, what you're looking at administration-wise, uh, look, we'd love to uh, we'd love to expect that uh, you know the breakers are going to have their fair share of home games. God, uh, God willing, they're, due, they're, they're absolutely due some time at home. But uh, there is a probability or a possibility that won't be the case. So you've been to Australia before. You've lived in Australia before. Um, what are you planning for? Yeah, I think we're very fortunate that our guys went through the toughest uh, season on the road I think imaginable last year. Like I alluded to, they moved nine times. So. It wasn't like we had a home base. So we're working with the league, and we're looking at all different scenarios where 
you know, if we have to be, be over in Australia for the beginning of the season and then return home, or if we have to be there for an extended time, we're hoping that uh, vaccination rates continue to grow and the borders between here and Australia open, but we're preparing for all contingencies. And if we do have to be in Australia, we're going to make sure that we go to a place that um, you know, has a high likelihood of being safe from COVID and we can, we can have a home base because that was a big difference for us last year. The guys just had to live out of suitcases in hotels and move nine times in five and a half months, and that's just not a sustainable living situation for professional athletes. So um, we're working closely with the league. We've been through it before, and whatever the situation is, we're going to be ready um, to go out and win a championship, and we feel like we've built a championship roster. Matt, we've talked to a lot of uh, CEOs over the last two or three weeks, and uh, including uh, Mark Robinson from uh, New Zealand Rugby um, and, and various others, David White from New Zealand Cricket. And one of the questions we... Uh, of course, ask is, is how they're copying it uh, financially, and most will say that it's been very, very tough to balance the books. Uh, you're part of a consortium that actually owns it as well, so you've got a much uh, more vested interest, I would imagine. Uh, how, how's it looking? How tough has it been, and have you been able to get any relief at all? Yeah, it's always tough. I mean, obviously, we, we, we draw a lot of revenue from home games, but one of the things that our amazing staff has been able to do is we've grown our sponsorship portfolio all of our amazing sponsors have stuck with us, um, you know, Sky Sport, Luca Doctor. They really, um, they see the growth of basketball here. They see what it's like when we come home and we sell out Spark Arena. They want to be a part of that. So um, from a financial standpoint, um, we're doing just fine. And, yeah, while we, we need those home games to, to sustain long term, um, as an ownership group, we're committed to making sure the breakers keep going and, um, you know, we're, we're just fine financially and that's largely due to the fact that, um, you know, our commercial team has done a great job and this last year living on the road, there's no question. I mean, we were, we were part of that um, Sport New Zealand funding effort and that certainly helped as well. Expectations just finally uh, for next season, all going well. Um, Matt, what, what are your expectations for the club? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty easy. When I bought the Breakers, uh, they after winning four or five championships a few years before, we, we have one expectation here, and especially just the way I do things, is we expect to, to win a championship. Now, you know, in saying that, uh, I don't measure whether it's a successful year whether we win the championship, because a lot of things go into it. But from a team perspective, we expect to win the championship. And as long as I see that the right things are being done every day and we're working hard for that championship, you know, as an owner... As a CEO, I'm quite, I'm quite happy with the organization. But with the roster we've built, with these locals, being able to find Yanni Wetzel, the top New Zealand free agent uh, in the world, Ty Webster is in that same boat, and bring back all of our other core locals and signing a guy like Peyton Siva and still having some import slots to fill and getting Usman Dieng, who's going to be a top 10 pick in next year's draft. I mean, it's, we, we're competing for a championship this year, whether we're living in New Zealand, Australia, Mars, wherever it is, we expect to compete for a championship. <laughs> Yeah, let's hope it's not on Mars, but uh, you just never know in today's world. Hey, Matt Walsh, uh, fantastic uh, to, to speak to you this morning, get, uh, get an update on developments of the club, and uh, all the best. Let's hope, uh, let's hope uh, everything, God willing, you get to, to fill that stadium at North Harbour at some point uh, pretty soon in the new year as well. Thank you. Thanks very much. Go well. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah um, Matt Walsh there, um, and really um, vested interest, of course. He's one of the owners. Uh, you know, and uh, very excited about the prospects of uh, who he's signing and uh, the current coach, of course, uh, all uh, doing a very good job there out there uh, at the North Harbour base for the Breakers. Uh, Dan Shamir, of course, uh, Israeli-based coach.
coach, got a, a really rich vein of history. I read about him uh, in the Israeli, Israeli Basketball League. Uh, he's got good pedigree, and now he's got uh, some really, really good cattle to work with, apparently. Uh, it's 11.16 here on SENZ. Uh, Michael Guerin next. Uh, we'll talk a little bit of harness racing and, in particular, pacing for purpose. Well, what we do know, um, Michael, is that you've got a number of shows that we can talk about uh, where you can feature uh, New Zealand harness racing, including uh, Trot's Talk, which is a new one, but uh, Sunday's around midday. Is that right with Greg? Yep, kicking off um, midday this Sunday, so hopefully we have some live racing to talk about. We might actually have live racing on the show. Greg O'Connor is the, the face of Southern Harness Racing, and he's the guy who runs the television harness show called The Box Seat. So what we'll do is every Sunday, Smithy, we'll try and, A, talk people through COVID, talk through the best horses and where they're going, tip out some winners, so we'll try and talk to the right people, and of course also talk about some of the people whose names you see in the race book or the paper, but you don't really know who they are. So we're going to get right into the harness racing from noon till one every Sunday. That's Trot's Talk, myself and Greg O'Connor, and of course tomorrow morning, kicking off at eight o'clock in the morning, is the mail run with Louis Human Watt as the host, and what we're going to do there is we can't really make up our, our guest list until we know whether we're racing tomorrow. But then we will talk to the people at the absolute coalface of New Zealand racing, mainly thoroughbreds, but also some harness and hounds, and say, hey, what's happening with your code? What's going to happen next? Where are we racing today? And if it's not in New Zealand, when do we race here again? So we'll get all the answers to those questions 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Of course, you can join in the Boys Punters Club for the afternoon. And we're also going to try and talk to some of our Australian friends because tomorrow, Aegon, Probabil, Sword of State, those type of horses mm. race in Australia. So we'll get the inside word there. And talk about this big jockey scandal. Some of the jockeys, some of the mm. biggest name jockeys in Victoria, sideline for bitching COVID protocols, which is an absolute total no-no so if you like your horse racing smithy which you and i do tomorrow morning eight o'clock the mail run of course tomorrow afternoon the boys get busy with the punters club and then for the first time noon on sunday we'll talk harness racing on trot's talk yeah well they're racing in australia harness racing uh, today and tonight newcastle ballarat kilmore albion park bathurst gloucester park and wagga so uh you can certainly uh if you're missing the harness on this side of the tasman you certainly you're not missing it over there. Um, it's great, Mick, that they've been able to persevere, um, uh, you know, in all forms of the industry over there to, just to keep that, that taste that we need going for us. Uh, they're quite resilient over there, aren't they? Well, they've got regional racing in both states. So what that means is, for example, if you're in New South Wales, Smithy, you're racing in four different regions and you can't mix. The horses can go somewhere and the horse people can go somewhere. But if you're from Newcastle and you want to race at Menangle, you have to go to the track and you're on a totally different barn at the track from the people from Bathurst or Wagga. So they've had those protocols in place for a while in saying that their protocols are different from ours. You can go out in New South Wales and get a coffee and get a takeaway coffee, which is sort of our level three. Now, we can get back to that at level three soon, hopefully, so we will be able to race like they do. But a lot of people get slightly confused that they're at the same level as us. Theirs are different and also they've had their protocols in place for a longer time. But yes, there's harness racing over there. What all this means long-term, Smithy, is 
what happens to things like the Inter-Dominions? The Inter-Dominions is on in New South Wales in November, December. Would you go? Could you go? You can send your horse, because horses can't carry COVID, so a horse can go, but can a trainer and driver go with it? Some of these big races, you know, these the big sporting events have that COVID cloud hanging over them. And of course, unlike something like the All Blacks, where you have a big machine behind you, a lot of these horses are separate business entities. The horse wins money for itself and for its owners. So really interesting questions about how those things are going to pan out in the months ahead. Speaking of an interesting question, this might be not one, but uh, I've often wondered, if I wanted to, how would I get involved in harness racing as an owner? How how do I I get involved? The the easiest way to go about it is simply syndication. There's so many syndicates, like Stonewall Stud do a magical job with some of theirs. Um, The Orkin Trotting Club have syndicates. They're all over the country. So so you can buy into a syndicate for $500 or $1,000, and then you meet some new people, and it's easy as pie. The simplest thing to do for most people is to go to hrnz.co.nz, or this is how I would do it. If you've looked at harness racing on television and you like the look of somebody, you think, hey, these people do a good job. If you ring a horse trainer, any horse trainer, and all their numbers are on hrnz.co.nz, if you ring a horse trainer and say, I want to get a share in a horse, trust me, Smithy, you have one in the next couple of days. They talk you through it. It all sounds a bit daunting. It's a little bit like buying a car. You're not really sure what you're doing for most of us, but if you get online, do your research, that's part of the fun, then you can make your decisions. What I would do is simply find the horse trainer I wanted to have a horse with, ring that person and say, hey, how do I do this? The one thing I can tell you, you can trust them, they'll look after you. Pacing for purpose is the other thing we've got going on the station at the moment, uh, Michael, and uh, we, we got off to a slow start last night. We were no good at Mildura. Um, so I'm hoping um, you, you can come up with something for us for next week. We're, we're battling a bit. We want to get out of the gates because we're giving our money to Women's Refuge. Help, help us, please. i tell you what. Well, um, what we'll do is every week, if you tell me how much money we've got to spend, Smithy, if I can't find you a winner, I'll talk to experts like Craig the Whale Thompson. I'll talk to experts like Greg O'Connor and Matt Cross. Or I'll talk to my friends in Australia who are professional punters and generally pretty sick for the punt, and I'll find us the right horse most weeks, Smithy. So if you're looking for one for tonight, I can do that study this afternoon, Women's Refuge. Very important to me. I've got seven sisters, so I know there's a lot of women in the world who don't have that protection around them. So, yep, any way we can help in the future, Smithy, trying to find the team a winner. Um, at the moment, it's a little bit tricky because we're not exactly sure we're racing. Yeah. Good on you, Mike. Michael Guerin. Uh, t- uh, tomorrow morning, as you heard, uh, he will with, uh, be with uh, 8 o'clock in the morning here on SENZ with Louis Herman Watt. And I'll tell you what, um, what's happening, if there's something happening in uh, racing that Michael Guerin doesn't know about, it simply isn't worth knowing about. So, and on that subject of knowing and knowing and being fully knowledgeable, it's that time of the day, yep, it's Stump Smithy time. 0800 150 811 is the number. 0800 150 811. Let the lines light up and let uh, me wish you all the best and trying to beat me in terms of sporting knowledge. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. I've never seen the phones light up like they just have for Stumped by Smithy. We've had about nine callers. Not everyone can be first, though. That honour goes to Kent from Blenheim. Fins up, Kent. How are you? 
G'day, mate. How are you? Yep, doing very well. How's your lockdown going? Um, yeah, I've probably put on about 4kg and <laughs> been told off by the wife for getting naked one too many times. So we're going right. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about the latter, but I've got the former in common with you. I'll tell you that. Yeah, oh, mate, you've got to get amongst it, Smithy. You'd love it. I'm too old for that rubbish. Move on. <laughs> oh, that is a classic lockdown story. I bet lots of people can relate. Uh, Stumped by Smithy, the way it works, I give you three sports. You choose one, then you get three questions. Get them all right. You win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB, but get one wrong, and Smithy can come in and stump you, and you leave with nothing. So, Kent... Your sports today are football, cricket, and golf. What are you going to go for? Football. Football, the old soccer. Who's your team? Uh, Leeds. Excuse me? Mm. Leeds United. United. Oh, Leeds United, I see. Ah, The Northern boys. Good times. Ellen Road. Ellen Road, yep. Excellent. All right, mate, let's get started. All right, Kent. Your first football question. France are the current FIFA World Cup champions, but which country has won the most football World Cup titles? Oh, it's going to be Brazil or Germany. Um, Brazil. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Come charging down the pitch and smack that for six. Absolutely. Brazil, Smithy, you know how many World Cups Brazil have won? Um, I'm going to say, I, I think, I know they won at least three. I'm going to say three because there was a school of thought that said once you've won three, you should be able to keep the Jules Rimet trophy and uh, forever, and they should have to build another one. But I, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to say three. Yeah, five. Five World Cups, but you knew at least oh, okay, three. Okay, fair enough. Excellent. All right, Kent. One down, two to go. Who is the top goal scorer in football history? Huh? Yep, across all like internationals, all top class, like who scored the most goals in basically first class football? Oh, God. Um, Cristiano? Ronaldo? There he goes! All the way! Certainly has. He has put a lot of balls in the back of nets. Smithy, 783 goals in top-level football is quite astounding. And is he going to move to Manchester City? I hope not. Well, it, <laughs> I hope not. No, but they don't. Um, certainly, the rest of the league don't need him playing there, even though he's got to be closer to the end than he is to the start he's been absolutely phenomenal we'll never forget him in that shirt for Manchester United uh, so that's two down good luck uh, Kent for, uh, with your last one mate all the best alright Kent here we go for the chocolates who holds the record for the most clean sheets in English Premier League history So I think this is just Premier League history. When did the Premier League start? 92 or something like that? So. Yeah. What's that? City's keeper. Um, oh, Joe God, Hart. Um, was, was, uh, was Joe Hart. Edison? I'm going to need an answer, Kent. Yeah, is it Edison? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
That is incorrect, so Smithy, a chance for a stumping here and to leave Kent with nothing. Well, because I'm working here on behalf of Kent's wife, um, and if we gave him 50 bucks worth of vouchers, um, <laughs> that might give the wife a little bit of a respite over the weekend, so he's got 50 bucks to play with from the TAB, so uh, Kent, even if I get this right, I'm going to give you the vouchers, so you're, you're, on, uh, you're on a no-loss situation here. I'm going to say Peter Schmeichel. No, Smithy. It's not Peter Schmeichel. I would have gone for that as well. It was Peter Chick with 202 clean sheets. So Peter Chick was the right answer. Smithy missed the stumping. And Kent, you have got $50 from the TAB. Oh, thanks for that, boys. Appreciate that. Anytime. Will it be, mate? (laughs) I hope the South Island gets some good news this afternoon. You can get out and about, mate. Uh, You certainly deserve to. I don't see what the problem is with... We're letting you guys out of jail anyway. Uh, so have a great weekend, mate. Uh, it's 11.37 here on SENZ. Um, yep, so uh, we've got Staffy to come up before midday. Uh, if you uh, want to text us, 88.33, um, or give us a call, 0800 150 811. Incidentally, I was just reading uh, something uh, yesterday, actually. Fitzy, Sean Fitzpatrick's favourite five All Blacks. Favourite five All Blacks for Sean Fitzpatrick. Michael Jones, Sir Michael Jones. Uh, Grant Fox. Um, Sir John Kerwin, Zinzan Brook, and he finally broke out of uh, the blue and white hoops and put Dan Carter in there. That was quite generous of him, isn't it? So Michael Jones, Grant Fox, Sir John Kerwin, Zinzan Brook, Dan Carter. What do you think of those? What's uh, staff uh, uh, between 12 and 4 this afternoon? We'll have a quick catch up with him just before midday. Just repeating the multi for the weekend. Uh, the Rabbitohs, uh, half-time, full-time, double. Um, and that's at a buck forty. They are against the, the Roosters tonight. The West Ham United, the Hammers, all forever blowing bubbles to beat uh, Crystal Palace at a dollar fifty-three. Uh, that is uh, in uh, the Premier League. Uh, we've got uh, the French League, Lille to beat Montpellier at uh, one dollar sixty-seven, and the AFL Melbourne to beat Brisbane tonight at a dollar sixty-six. So the return there. Over the weekend would be $5.93. Good news coming in for English cricket fans uh, overnight with Joe Root continuing his stellar form. Yet another magnificent century to flatten India and take the wind out of their sails. Any hope of them getting back into this test match, I think, has been reduced by England who uh, are 4.23 for 8 as they head into the third night tonight. Of course, you can hear ball-by-ball coverage of that here on SENZ. Jeremy Coney, part of the commentary team. Uh, I've always thought that uh, there was a, a fab four uh, in terms of uh, modern-day batsmen. Um, Smith, Steve Smith, Vidak Coley, Kane Williamson and Joe Root. Now, Joe Root sort of drifted out of the fab four for a while. In fact, the, apart from Williamson, they all have. Uh, Steve Smith, of course, with Sandpaper Gate. Uh, he was uh, left out of the side for quite some time, so you really couldn't put him uh, in the, the run scoring form. It took him a while to get back into it, but now uh, I think he's uh, in a pretty rich vein of form. We'll see over the ashes. That'll be the great battle for me. Uh, Smith uh, against uh, Joe Root, and, and uh, also to uh, Labashane uh, will be another thing. But the good news in terms of looking forward to the ashes is that uh, England may, it's early days, may have just found a top three with Burns, uh, Hasib, Hamid and Dawood Milan, who scored 70 overnight. Uh, but yeah, I, and that constant in that Fab Four for me was always Kane Williamson, uh, undoubted place for me, and I, I think uh, most of my overseas uh, colleagues as well in the commentary box would agree with that. Uh, Paralympics, uh, Paralympics uh, Day 3, 
action today. Uh, cycling, Nicole Murray and Anna Taylor are in action in the pool. Uh, Tupu Naufi is in there in the women's uh, 100 metre backstroke. Qualified second, uh, second fastest time going to Tokyo, so a medal hope there. Uh, ben Tuomasevi in the men's shot put, uh, F37 final. Uh, that's at 10.53 tonight. So these um, uh, late afternoon or uh, well and truly into the evening, quite late tonight, 11 p.m. in fact. The Will Blacks uh, kick off against Canada in Group B. Looking, John, for their first victory. It's been tough going for, yeah, uh, for it, the Black uh, the Wheel Blacks. Yeah, the Wheel Blacks, yeah. And we did talk to Cody Everson before the Games. Um, it has been a long time since they've been at the Olympics, I think 13 years. Um, so they're in there now. There are eight teams and they're ranked seventh. So I think they they went there with pretty low expectations, um, but just really glad to be there on the big stage. Uh, earlier, Smithy, we were talking about um, Adi Savia and Guy Havelt brought it up mm. on the panel that his run-ins with the media maybe should count against him when it comes to uh, making him an All Blacks captain because he might be a bit of a firebrand uh, with the media, um, which made me think firebrand, firebrand, sportsman Ian Smith, did you have any run-ins with the media? Well, I was a bit feisty, a little bit um, feisty, I had the odd run-in with the media I, like I said before too you know, like, no one likes uh, bad things being said about them, no one likes uh, negatives everyone wants to think that everything's rosy, but of course an international sport it uh, seldom is for a long period of time unless you are one of the greats. So I remember one day uh, I had a, a real run and I took on the doyen, I mean the doyen of uh, cricket writing in this country, DJ Don Cameron. Absolute. Seen everything, been everywhere, seen the greats of New Zealand cricket. Uh, would norm, know more about cricket than uh, in, a, in his little finger than I probably ever would anyway. But one day he rolled me up at McLean Park in Napier here uh, when we... We caught uh, down the leg side, we got Manoj Prabhaka for 96, he'd been batting like forever and he'd never scored a test 100 and uh, Richard Hadley Boldner had flicked something down the leg side. Now from a wiki keeping point of view, um, you know, particularly off really quick bowlers, if you're standing sort of close enough you won't see what the deflection is, you, you can't, you can't because the body gets in the way uh, and it's often quite hard. Sometimes you can get across quickly enough if you see the line of the ball to see what it comes off but in this particular case, it couldn't. So uh, we appealed for that noise down the leg side and uh, Manash Prabhaka was given out. And boy, it took him like two weeks to walk off McLean Park. He was that angry, that savage. He held uh, up, held up, pointed to the side, his side, you know, the hip area and this kind of thing. And he made it uh, absolutely obvious to everybody at the ground or anyone on television that he thought he was hard done by and it had come off anything but the bat or the gloves, right? So that's fine. That, that happens in cricket. You, you, you sort of run with it. Now, I'll, I'll bet on many occasions Manoj Prabhaka got away with uh, little touches down the leg side that he didn't get out to, but on this one uh, he didn't. So, uh, you know, we didn't think much more of it. And then the, and the next day in the, 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 the paper, the Herald, there was an article by uh, DJ Cameron that said that, you know, we weren't too good about that. You know, we basically deprived him, knowingly deprived him of his opportunity to, to score his first uh, Test 100, and it wasn't a good look, and, you know, we, we, we should have been above this and all this kind of thing, basically along the lines that we cheated him out. Um, so I don't like that, to be fair, not in front of my own crowd. So, so I thought, I stewed about it through, we were out in the field the whole morning session, I was thinking about it, and I talked to a couple of blokes about it, and uh, I thought, ah, oh, nah, nah, and then I thought, nah, to hell with us. So when lunch was called, instead of walking off to the dressing room to the right, uh, at McLean Park and off into the players' area to have lunch, 
I walked straight down the ground just by myself, past the sight screen, into the main lunchroom where the media were having their lunch, right? And uh, Don Cameron was there, like a lot of media guys, uh, they like to get to lunch on time, they don't want to miss anything. Uh, and he was there, and boy, did I let rip. I said, how the hell, basically, uh, in all sorts of nice language, can you possibly uh, accuse us of cheating over the, you know, we've, we've been uh, holding up the game in the highest esteem and all this rubbish, uh, in front of our own crowd, basically, uh, uh, and I let, let him have it, I really did, for about 30 seconds to a minute, it seemed like forever, and he just sat there and took it, right? Uh, and then I left. So we went back, <laughs> stormed back out of the the lunchroom back over to the dressing room. Well, the next day in the paper, it was absolutely uh, the, the, the quote that just absolutely levelled me uh, and uh, it really did sum up the situation. He simply said, Don Cameron, in his most um, brilliant fashion, in a very small uh, selection of words, uh, Ian Smith was kind enough to join us for lunch yesterday. And that was that. That was absolutely, uh, just levelled me, absolutely levelled me, uh, to my knees, absolutely, eh? Um, yeah, okay, so here we go, um, look, Sri, Sri's text, and uh, I know Sri very well, as so he was part of that, yes, he, he sat there and he was part of the media, uh, not so much, it was, it was uh, aimed at uh, DJ Cameron, but the response was absolutely superb. Uh, Staffy next, as we look forward to his show this afternoon. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.56, four minutes to midday, four minutes to uh, Mark Stafford taking over the bridge. Um, Staffy, uh, Sophie Pascoe was silver last night. Well, man, what an inspiration she is. You, you know, we only, we sort of hear about her all too, um, all too infrequently, unfortunately, but uh, speaking to her coach this morning, Roly, he it was fascinating to just to hear that, you know, not just uh, all planes sailing for her, that it really took some motivation for her to get up and uh, to get stuck into uh, the Olympics this time round. So uh, another example, I suppose, of, of just where we're at with the high-profile sporting people. Yeah, I always find that interesting. Like we see these guys, particularly the Olympians, like we see them once every four years. And I remember when I first met Sarah Walker, and I said, we see you for half an hour every four years, but we don't know what you do the rest of the time. And man, they work hard. And mm. yeah, the physical strain, but just the mental strain as well. And they train for four years for five minutes, for a five-minute goal. And even talking to Kaikara France yesterday, who's just got a fight assigned to him in December. And I was just like, how do you cope with your training for something for just 15 minutes so far in advance? It's... I've got so much admiration for Sophie Pascoe and, and, and I'm so many ath- athletes like that. And I think it's cool that they're lifting the lid on their struggles because then we can relate because we all have struggles as well. And when our heroes have struggles, it sort of makes it okay for us to as well. Staff, this afternoon, uh, I know you work hard, speaking of working hard, putting shows together. Um, so what have you got in line with us uh, on this uh, busy Friday afternoon on? Uh, some interesting guests today, actually, Smithy got Blair Chook, uh, I've actually pre-recorded that because it's middle of the night over in the UK, but he's in the middle of the Sail GP series, so he'll be coming up uh, as our first interview. Uh, we're going again to America as well, we're going international, we've got Amanda Beard, who's a four-time Olympian, former world record holder in swimming, 
um, a Kiwi born but represented America. A lot of people wouldn't have known that, so we have her on at about half past 12. Uh, Jeremy Paul, our weekly slot with Jeremy Paul, an incredibly popular guest we have on every Friday now. Um, and then we're going to sail GP again, Leo Takahashi, who sailed at the Olympics for Japan, and he's part of the Japanese sail GP team. They're in third at the moment. Jamie Tout, who's heading this massive sports academy that people probably don't know about in Upper Hutt. I've been out there two or three times. It is phenomenal. Like, you wouldn't believe the facility they are putting out there. Uh, we are crossing to Katie Brown, who's my equivalent uh, in the afternoons in Sydney. So we'll be having a, a bit of a chat to her. Of course, Jacinda, uh, I've lined her up for three o'clock. Um, we're even going to take the news a little bit earlier for Jacinda. She's asked if we could please let her go at three, so we're doing that. And Annabelle Langbein with a recipe for the weekend with uh, Dinnerbell Langbein on Fridays. Now that, now that is a must listen. I mean, the whole afternoon is, but Annabelle Langbein, yeah. that is a special get. Well done, staff. Uh, look forward to it as always. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Trudy, uh, to Brian on panel, of course, uh, for getting those calls through uh, and the text uh, and everything like that. John Day, has been uh, a busy week, a tough week. Uh, let's hope uh, all of us New Zealand uh, can get some pretty good news this afternoon and uh, get some progress about moving on with life. Wouldn't that be good? It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.